Hello, everybody, and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. I am Kevin, one of your hosts. And I am another host. Some might say the second of two hosts. And today we are discussing Star Trek The Lower Decks. And the episode we are discussing is the latest and greatest Deep Space the Ninth is being visited by the crew. Our crew, some may say, you know, the crew. What a crew. It's a great crew. You know, it's a beautiful crew, right? This is a beautiful. We love the crew. We do. We love this crew. And the name of the episode is Hear All, Trust Nothing. It is directed by Philmark Sagadraka. We've already talked about Philmark. And written by Grace Para. Grace Para is known for her writing on The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore. This was the uh, Daily Show spinoff. And uh, she wrote for McSweeney's, something to do with McSweeney's. So that's a little Fufu Shishi pedigree there. And um, another Bojack Horseman alum. Easily the most anticipated episode of the season for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. We finally obvious get to reason. go to quite the iconic, to that iconic setting. The original Quarks. The original quarks. We get to go to that. We get to go to that fascist eyesore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the first time in twenty-three years, believe it or not, but only five years inside of the uh, timeline of the show since right. Deep Space Nine ended. But we have not seen the station on our screens since nineteen ninety-nine. So it was quite. It was a. Uh, I was overjoyed when I when I finally saw Deep Space Nine. I mean, we saw it in the trailers, but to actually get there and see it, see the space station again, hear the music, it was it was it was lovely. It was it was it was absolutely lovely. And I think that like I was telling you after the episode aired, I said this is how you pay tribute to something. Right. right. This is how you Well, let me ask you something. Yeah. So you're more in tune with the uh, voice of the fandom. Mm-hmm. So has the fandom at large treated this as a return to Deep Space Nine? And, or have they treated it as a footnote or an annoyance? Or no, something I, I think what they... So at a high level... It's been very well received. Everybody, from what I've seen, is happy. I've seen some negative things, which is not surprising, but I think it was that they've just felt like it was kind of hollow. But I thought, well, I don't know what you're expecting. It's not, this is not, Deep Space Nine is not what this show is. It's a location. Oddly, it was hollow, but we did not see a hollow suite. But yeah, I mean, the fandom, that's kind of you know nobody was complaining about how i was kind of surprised because i've not seen anybody really complain about well i want to know what's going on i want to know what happened with cisco i want to know what happened like nobody is really angry that they didn't sort of give us a kind of update on what has happened since then 
I think more people would have been angry if they did give us an update. Right, right. And and to be honest with you, I what I what I really liked about it is, you know, forget about seeing the station again, forget about seeing the characters again, forget about that for a moment. What I what I and this is, this goes back to what I was saying about this is how you pay tribute. This is how you're respectful to it, right? They didn't take it and add their stamp on it in the sense of they decided to build on what the show left after. They didn't decide to answer some questions that the show left us with at the end, right? It's basically, it's Deep Space Nine as we left it back in 1999. It's pretty much exactly the same way as it was. Quarks obviously has expanded, but that we already knew that anyway from Picard. But it's still Deep Space Nine as we last saw it, without really any any major steps forward. Which some may say, I wish it. I wish it did. But in my in my opinion, I think it was, uh, you know, to use the word that you like to use, used to you like to use with Picard. I thought it was tastefully done in that sense. It, it was it very much respected the world of Deep Space Nine and the lore of Deep Space Nine. I agree. Yeah, they didn't try to change anything or, you know, I, I didn't really expect that they would. I mean... I didn't think so either. I mean, we were talking about that. A comedy show, it really would have been... It would have not... They would not have been able to do any of the storylines justice. No, but, I th- but there has been... I don't... You're right. I mean, and you only have 20-some-odd minutes to do an episode, but... There were some, but there were some very, very nice moments. I mean, once again, in the in traditional lower decks fashion, managed to balance comedy, seriousness, even some poignancy very well. And there were a few specific moments pertaining to DS9 characters that I thought was done that I thought were done very well. I mean, you had that brief moment of Kira in her office looking out at the wormhole and it's just for about a second or two watching the reflection right watching the karma vessel come through but you know what she's thinking of right she's she's still waiting for cisco right maybe she's thinking about odo who's back on the other side with his people i thought about those things as a viewer but i also thought about the real world as well i thought about how we lost renee arbajanois and aaron eisenberg you know two cast members have two cast members of the show who have passed on. So I think there was, a, just in the thing in that like second and a half of her staring at the wormhole, there was a lot of emotion there for that brief period of time. And I just, I felt that as, as we, uh, as she did that. I love that. I didn't, I didn't get any of that. Yeah. In that moment, but I love that it was there for you. It's right before Freeman and Shax and, Ransom come into her office. It's she's just looking for. I yeah, do remember for, the moment because yeah. I just thought it was well, you know, um, the composition was nice with the reflection. Yeah, yeah. But she's looking up at the celestial temple. She's still waiting for Cisco. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could have been last week. I forget his exact quote and what he what he says, but yeah. So it could be whenever Paramount Plus. Yeah. Pays them enough to do it. The closest, the closest we've gotten to a kind of, I would say, an update on what's going on is was from the episode last week where Marina says Cisco's still doing celestial temple things. Yeah, and that's about it. So mm-hmm. it would have been, I think, I would have been pissed off if it turns out that and I think I'm, I, I may have said this already, 
at another point how if we find out oh yeah he was always he he's been back for like 10 years for like the last five years but we didn't we didn't know that right well, somehow we managed to open a chain of Cajun restaurants. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I, I thought it was exceptionally respectful of the original Deep Space Nine source material, and it didn't build on any on any of it. I'm glad it didn't, and the show didn't. It didn't have to. I just used it as a setting. Right. Which is excellent. But in spite of all yeah. of this, there was a. It wasn't an episode full of member it wasn't an entire memberberry episode there were actually plots that went on yes three of them to my count hmm. we had captain freeman we had orion and rutherford and then we had jennifer and mariner right we don't typically get new pairings a new pairing though jennifer and mariner i have to together but they haven't had their own plot yet i have to bring this up again don't you find it kind of amazing just how the show is able to balance so many different stories in such a short amount of time? This episode being another example of that. You come out of it feeling like you watched a lot and it was only 23, 24 minutes. Yeah, yes, certainly. And, you know, there's plenty of other shows, not saying Star Trek shows, but plenty of other shows you watch an hour show feel like you saw less than what you see here. Yeah. I think I mentioned this before, but it reminds me truly of The Simpsons and how it can pack only The Simpsons and Rick and Morty that I've seen it packs so much in. Yeah. The Simpsons, by three commercial breaks, and you would sort of get three full stories, Mm -hmm. or at least one that would lead into the big story completely separately up until the first commercial break. So, well, let's get into Captain Freeman's little little plot, little plot here. So she gets to do something important finally. Yes, but seemingly for all the wrong reasons. Yes. And she, what I love about it is that she laments not ever getting to do anything important. Now she does, and she doesn't want to do it. Well, she literally had three seconds of notice that she was doing these... Mm-hmm. Uh, these uh, yeah, it was like, he, as soon as she got off the, the call, letting her know that she would be handling the negotiations, um, yeah. the other ship arrived. Right. <laughs> right. And what she said, uh, any other captain would have months to prepare for these negotiations. Yeah. Right. So, and that gives us that wonderful moment where she says, just, you got to buy me some time, just circle around the station for a while. Uh Uh-huh. But the Karma are part of the Dominion. We saw them a few times on Deep Space Nine, specifically, I think, in the episode Starship Down, where the Defiant is in the Beta uh, Beta Quadrant, the Gamma Quadrant, Disaster Strikes, and the starship is down basically they're just adrift in space and there is a karma representatives stuck in the mess hall with quark with a torpedo lodged in the uh in the hull of the ship but it goes this episode goes into quark's kind of um negotiation history with the karma so but it turns out now what is it the big thing now is that they're trying to they're dealing with some post it's it's all about like post dominion war trading now so and she has to negotiate this with three seconds notice as we say mm-hmm. so she has to improvise mm-hmm. and when, when she improvises she winds up uh making a mistake in in putting too much attention onto quark right 
I do really enjoy Ransom's question about his bar. Uh, can't people just replicate drinks? <laughs> but, Why are they bothering with your bar? The lower deckers, of course, make a big deal over this because Quarks, you know, we see that Quark has, Quarks has been franchised across the Alpha Quadrant. Going back to season one of Picard, we saw one on Free Cloud. So we knew this. But, and I like that Quarks has basically exploded now to include a gift shop. You see a Vulcan walking out all in like, just draped in like Quarks paraphernalia, right? Highly illogical. Highly, but that's, what, that that's part of what made it so funny is that you would not, never, yes. never would you have imagined a Vulcan doing something like that. Yes. Yeah. But, but the whole idea was, I mean, it was all really to kidnap Quark. Because right. it turns out Quark yeah. has stolen. Now, I wasn't sure if they had that plan before they showed up, but once they saw that he had stolen their replicator tech, I guess bar replicator tech or some kind of replicator tech, mm -hmm. then they kidnapped him and tried to take him back through the wormhole. Right. Which right. sets off the um, sort of our, our other stories, kind of kicks him into high gear. Yeah, I don't remember in Starship Down what he was negotiating with the Karma with. I was because I was trying to remember like was it was that is that tied into is what he was trading with them at the time is that could that be somehow interrelated? It very well could be. I didn't go back and watch the episode, but again, he does have a history of trading with these people. So this is just one of like I think at least a dozen that we've heard about on throughout the course of DS Nine, but. I did like how the plot kind of concluded that once they finally <laughs> they did, they ended up taking like seventy six percent of his um of the profits from all of his uh, yeah that was yeah. the negotiation yeah and obviously that's gonna really sting for Quark but oh totally keeps him, but some out of jail or being tortured or whatever they were gonna do to him you know what I like too there was something about when we got to Quark's right and you saw people taking selfies with him. And him, of course, charging money for them, processing fees and all that other stuff. I just found it so there was something about that that I just thought was very funny, and not that because when Deep Space Nine ended, where we were in the real world, technology-wise, like those kinds of things didn't even exist. So it was, mm -hmm. it was the way it just kind of brought in. It's weird because obviously DS Nine takes place in the future, but it has this. It's bringing it in with the modern sort of technological sense. Um, sensibilities of today which I don't know but it just seemed like of course if you took a selfie with Quark he would charge you money for it why wouldn't he mm -hmm. so I just I don't know I really I really enjoyed that aspect of it quite a bit I also found that these small moments this kind of goes back to the more broad being on Deep Space Nine conversation we were having a few minutes ago but what i what i what really stood out and i think this really drove it home for me was that it wasn't just they were on deep space nine they kind of mimicked the production style of deep space nine they used they recreated despite it being an animated form they recreated like the same camera passes the, you know the slow zoom in to the um to the top of the station as the as the original ds9 series always did mm -hmm. they mimicked some of the same camera angles like as they were walking around the promenade and as they were in the um 
the uh, I forget the name of that room, the conference room where they were negotiating. Um, and to me, I don't know if you if you got this sense from all of that, but like I don't. The fact that we were back on Deep Space Nine again, albeit in animated form, it still felt like we were really back there again. It was, like it didn't. I didn't feel like there was any sort of like disconnect because we weren't there in live action. We were there in animated form, and yet somehow they still managed to make me feel like I was returning back home to the DS9 I saw, I last saw in 1999. I mean, did you, do you know what I mean? Like, am I, am, am I saying this correctly? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I had the opposite thought. Because, I don't know, maybe it was just because Quarks was so different. But I, I sort of felt like certain shots, I was thinking, like, wait, where exactly are they? Like, what mm-hmm. is this thing? What is that thing? Yeah, um, I think the outside shots of the space station were great. I yeah. think the inside shots less so. Yeah, there was one where we saw wardroom is what it was called. It's a Rutherford's feet from like behind. I don't know. It looked very strange. Well, that was an Easter egg too. That was he was doing what Jake and Quark used, to, Jake and Nog used to do. I remember that. Yeah. Yes, I didn't get the memberberry about the. Uh, Wanted to have a heart-to-heart with a junior reporter up here. Jake. He was a reporter. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's silly. Okay. Um, it was so, such an oddly specific one, too. Yes. That's why it was so great, though. That's why those are usually great. Yeah. Um, one thing that was interesting, and it sort of poked a little hole in some of that reverence for Deep Space Nine... I think in a subtle way in the promenade is when um, one of the negotiators said uh, a tailor and some tchotchke kiosks is hardly worth my time. Yes. And <laughs> it was funny because it made me think, oh, yeah, he's right. First off. And of course, we get to hear about the tailors. That's great. Yep. But then I thought, how funny is it that this was the center of sort of the Star Trek brand when they had the kiosk, uh, the, the promenade in Las Vegas yep. in the 90s? And it is a little funny that that was the... Which I never got to visit. The main... The main... Um, I guess, yeah, brand location. Not yeah. the bridge of the Enterprise like you might think. Right. I I was a little disappointed. I was hoping... Because when you said Taylor, you reminded me. that That's, of course, a reference to Garrick. Garrick, And I yes. thought to myself, I think Garrick would have been... You know, I think Quark and Kira were just enough, but if we had just seen Garrick, to me feels per- like would be perfect to appear on the show at some point because the character would fit so well. Yes, mainly yes. because of the cadence and the way he talks. Well, and let's be let's be honest here, right? You know that Mariner would know him. Obviously, they would have some kind of relationship. They would have done some under some some um yeah some yes. sort of uh, secretive stuff together. Yeah, I. I I made a comment on on, a, on one of these uh, on a clip of it on YouTube, and I said and I said the same thing. I'm like, God, I wish, like, I, I just I wish Garrick could have made an appearance. And one person yeah. said, Well, he can't. He's on Cardassia. And I'm like, Do you know what starships are? It's not real. <laughs> they can write a reason for him to be back there. Like, yeah, yeah. what are you gonna say? Oh, we can't do that because he's on Cardassia. Yeah, he never comes back to check on the tailor shop. Or whatever. Yeah. Visit his old friends or but. I gotta say, like, we were talking about, I think we talked about this a long time ago, about, like, if we ever envisioned the Lower Deckers going to Deep Space Nine, what do we think it would be like? 
And I and I remember what we said, and I think we were kind of right for the most part. Like they would go to Quarks. Mariner, of course, would know him somehow, which I mean, you he was stationed on DS9 anyway, but but like, you know, toward the end of that of the episode, he comes over and he goes, Mariner, I hope you have I hope you have some uh, some latinum under there. And, you know, she's saying, oh, no, but I have that I have that holodeck program of you uh, on Kira's body. And then there's clearly some kind of, you know, so clearly they have a history there. I love seeing Boimler get so caught up in playing Dabo, which I oh, figured yeah. would be the case. <laughs> But so much so, he wins so much Latinum. And then he's like, well, the Federation doesn't even use it money anyway. So, right. so that and they seem surprised by that. I know. That's what, that's what I thought was weird. That Ferengi doesn't know that by now. And, right. Um, but but maybe said, they've been lying to them the whole time. But the Ferengi screws him out of it all and says, well, since you can't use it, I'll give you a... Uh, you can give it Seems all back to me. happy. Right. He says, what do you say? You can give it all back to me and I'll give you a, uh, I forget, it was like a, a gift certificate to the... Quark's Bucks. Quark's Bucks, thank you. So, yeah, for the gift shop. But I think we, I don't know if we saw him, but we saw someone no, we coming did. out with an armful. That was him. He, he Marin, yeah. or, um, Boimler walked right, but Boimler was so excited for that that he's like, yeah, yeah, of course I will. And he just go because he really, really wanted to go there anyway. And so we yeah. see him like, like two seconds later, like just kind of walk by the camera, just draped in all of this stuff. So yeah. I love that Boimler really didn't have much to do in this episode. He was just kind of in the background enjoying playing a game of Dabo. And you see him in the background in almost every single shot inside of Quarks. Yes. And, um... Yeah, he only ever had two scenes, I think, when he was playing Dabo, anyway. Although I laughed at, I laughed like hell when the uh, the power went out. And he's still, <laughs> still playing Dabo. And he's just like, oh, Dabo! But yeah. I love that he's just there basically fanboying out at Quarks. Right? Mm-hmm. And he's just... Yeah, and this goes back to the idea that the the effect that certain aspects of Star Trek have on the real world they have into the our lower deckers like the Tom Paris commemorative plate right. things like that right so it sort of doesn't make sense in the world of the show but it makes perfect sense to us watching of course yeah now the other plot you had you had a t- plot with Tendi because she went over to DS9 with them all as well Yes, I really yeah. like this plot. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't care for it at first, but then after that, but when I watched it a couple other more times, I actually did. Yeah, I really love when they deal with her Orionness, and it doesn't happen very often. I just loved the idea that even though she may not be a pirate, she can bring those ten she can just bring out the pirate in her with you know, with ease and just do what needs yes. to be done. Yeah, so she could be a she could be she could be a badass when she needs security officer if she wanted to. Right, but right. she doesn't want to. It's it's her choosing she, not to. Yeah. Yeah, she is, she does wants to change people's um, perceptions of Orion's. Right. She's not into all that. She's into science, and she always has to kind of be living it down, which is great. And I really love that we get the contrast with the Orion dude who. You know, it was raised by humans, a la um, in Ohio, a la a la a la Worf. Yes. Um, so he he feels he has to make up for it by acting like the most badass pirate when he really doesn't know anything about being a pirate. Um. So I thought that was really great. Just that, just watching uh, Tendy squirm. Well, he kept talking about like, oh, you must know all about great pirating stuff, right? Yeah. Um, he says something that actually, when we get to it, 
uh, is my favorite line of the week. I think I can imagine which one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then when it comes down to it, when they're on the ship where Quark is kidnapped and it's taking Quark away mm-hmm. and that he needs to use his pirating skills, that's when we find out that he was raised in Ohio and doesn't yeah. know anything about pirating. And we find out that Tendi actually has all the pirate skills. Yes. Yep. Including stealing ships with a tooth. Right. So because what they're doing is they're transferring stuff, you know, again, because of the trade negotiations with the Karma, they're transferring stuff to the Karma vessel. And so they're already on board as they kidnap Quark and they begin heading toward the wormhole. So she has to kind of, you know, jump into action and take back the ship to rescue Quark. And it was, yeah, it was great. I mean, I love that. I love that there's just that, there's that Orion pirate in her that she can just easily take a ship because she gets even asked in the beginning of the episode, like how many ships have you taken? Oh, none. Not all of us are pirates. Yeah. But again, the fact that she can just switch it on without any, without any problem is just, it's great. So she can be a real, she can just be a badass when the situation calls for it, which I love. Mm -hmm. I I totally enjoyed (laughs) while they were doing the back and forth, uh, Tendi and the Orion guy's name, I forget. Um, Rutherford was just so into it. Yeah, I mean everything that the that the Orion said about pirating, he was just ah, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, he was very. He was like, I found Rutherford this week to be way. He's already a really lovable, enjoyable character, but I just felt like I was. He was far more enjoyable to watch this week than he has been the previous weeks. Yes, this was uh, him at his finest. Maybe now he has fully embraced his um, goofy. You know, personality now that he's eliminated his angry inner but like, self. Even when he wants to run up to the top of the promenade and, like, you know, dangle his feet on the, he's just like, ooh, like he's just, he's so excited to even just do something as simple as that. Yes. And he wants to talk to the junior reporter. But it calls, it makes me wonder about, because you, when you were saying, you know, they, they take these sort of legacy characters of Trek and they sort of fanboy, fangirl about them in the universe, which you say doesn't really make any sense. When it comes to something like that, like dangling your feet on the promenade, who would know about that? Exactly, who'd know? <laughs> All right. Well, I guess yeah. if we if we look at the world of Star Trek, if um, Riker and Troy can watch the entire series of Enterprise in the holodeck, I right. guess you can probably watch all of D Space Nine in the holodeck. The technology yeah, had only maybe. advanced by that. Point. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know that these these characters would be the only ones that would actually do that too. That's true. That's nobody, true. nobody else would. Like, of course, Rutherford would know about something like that. But as you say, like, who would know about something like that? Because this is not. Yeah. Yeah. The son of the director of the station <laughs> had a weird hobby where he was a reporter. Yeah. Like, where is that documented? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then we have our final story. Yep. Jennifer and Mariner. Yep. Anything you would like to say about this? So, yes, but not yet. Continue with what you were saying. Okay, so I I enjoyed this story a lot. So we've seen kind of the, we've had a few scenes of Jennifer and Mariner. We knew that Mariner was interested in Jennifer and we knew it was kind of becoming something. Yeah. Uh, But we knew, we know very little about Jennifer. Although she's Andorian and she, you know, is on the ship. So this is a big day where Mariner is going to hang out with Jennifer's friends. Right. And so I think the 
part of this that is um, that's funny. First off, it's Mariner in this what it would be seen as a very stereotypically um, like early hangout. Yeah. Kind of like girly people that, you know, to make a, va- a grand stereotype, like yoga loving girl type of hangout. Okay, so if anybody knows out there, you know, the Visco girls is the, I think, yeah. believe the term. It's already out of date. But um, so she's nervous about it. The other lower deckers are kind of making fun of her because she's going to hang out with her friends and yep. and all this. So well, yeah, this is our first right time away, we get to see them in a relationship too. Yes, really, right, right away. Yeah. Right away, we're tipped off that something is weird. They call their hangouts salons. Yes, which I think yes. is pretty hilarious because it's so mm, so such an ostentatious name for hanging out salons, like the great. F- philosophers of the yep. enlightenment called their gatherings so that's pretty silly um then she shows up she has her uniform on they have what they call betazoid casual they're doing candle dipping which is one of those kind of crafty things that yep. a certain type of hangout would include um and she's kind of trying to roll with it she finds out that they're attracted to boimler and then she really has to load up on the alcohol to handle that. They have sort of an open mic where people are doing poetry and sort of um, interpretive dance. Yep. So it's very much not Mariner's scene, but she's trying to roll with it. She's trying to be polite. She's trying to fit in. She's trying to, you know, she thinks that's what Jen will want. Yep. Uh, But then at a point, after the ship loses power, we get... An emergency, and Mariner's still trying to maintain her, you know, friendly, calm. She doesn't want to be too much of a jerk. She doesn't want to make her friends mad. And that's when Jennifer pulls her aside and says, why are you acting like this? I like you because you do take charge and you don't take any crap from anyone. And then she realizes, oh, I don't have to try to be what I think Jennifer wants me to be. I can just be myself. She likes me for who I am. And with her friends, I'm supposed to be just be who I am. So then she kind of scolds them. They're using too much oxygen, so... Because the power she, goes out, so... Yes. That, it gets tied so, into the cork plot, where, like... yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So then she she uh, puts, sets Phaser to stun and makes them unconscious, because they, they're all freaking out. They're, they can't calm down. And they're going to yeah. use all the oxygen. She stuns them, and everything's happy, and then they stun, she stuns her and Jennifer, and yeah. they fall onto the table in each other's arms. I found it to be very nice... Very cute. I think Mariner has learned that, oh, Jen actually likes me for who I am. I don't have to try to be anything else, and yeah. we're going to be fine. So I got that out of it, like what you just said, totally. I, I think I think what it was, I, I don't know that the comedy of the plot was really landing for me too well. I just, And it could have been... Now, I watched this episode probably about four times. Now, the first time, admittedly, I was just too into the Deep Space Nine stuff, and I think rightly so. But after a couple of times, the few times I watched it after that, I was trying to be more focused on the on the Mariner stuff. And again, it was a fun plot; it was enjoyable. But I I don't know that it was really. Again, I just don't think the comedy was hitting for me. I yeah yeah mostly what it was for me is just how outside of Mariner's comfort zone it was, and how if not for their relationship, Mariner would never be caught dead doing yeah. any of. 
things yeah. or in this room at all. That's what I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, like when she was like running her I, I think it was you know what it was? Maybe I think also something about Mariner running around phasering them all, like sure it was kind of funny, but in some ways I felt like this feels a little extreme, even for Mariner. I don't know. But there, I think they were just again I, I, <laughs> I, I do think, think in the context it was in the context. Yes, I guess. You know, but I think enough oxygen. You're not me, listening. That's we have to save our lives. Yeah. It, it just it. Yeah, I, I think the more I think about it as we discuss it, because I think I was saying to you, like I can't really quite put my finger on it. I, I think it was just the comedy wasn't. Mm, makes sense. Yeah, I think that's what it was, and I, it, it's so. And I think that was. Yeah. That makes sense. One thing I did notice I thought was interesting um, is when Mariner finally started, you know, turning on her aggressive side, I don't know, it seemed like Jennifer took almost like this giddy glee in it. Yeah. Even though they were in this sort of life or death situation. So I think there might be something more there where maybe Jennifer is kind of, I don't know, likes to have Mariner as her girlfriend that will. Yeah. Badass or be shitty to her friends or something. So I don't know. Seems like there might be something there. What do you think the future is for uh, for Jennifer? I mean, do you think we'll? Um, I mean, just recurring. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a. I think this is the episode that sort of set it up as a real relationship that will likely continue until. I, I mean, I can't see her just fading away. I'm sure we'll get an end to it in story. No, I, um, I'm because I'm, you know I'm beginning to feel like, and maybe. Maybe this will pass. I feel like at this point in the show, I would love. I don't think it's desperate. I don't think it's desperately needed, but I would love for them to throw in another lower decker to the mix. And shake right, up or at least whenever you have like, a group of friends and yeah. one of them gets a serious into a serious relationship, that always changes things up. So right. this could be one of those. Yeah, yeah, because we're still you waiting know, on the Victorian. So I'll take it. <laughs> I know, right? Even in, even in animated form, we're still waiting on that Vulcan situation. I, I actually uh, saw yeah. a comment about that somewhere recently. So yeah, I'm, sure yeah, I'm still wondering about that. But uh, yeah, I would love to see the show experiment with well, not experiment, really bring on somebody, bring on another lower decker. Maybe not a full time one. Maybe I mean maybe it could just be Jen, right? But a recurring. Lower Decker to kind of shake things up with the mix a little bit. <laughs> the reason I just realized how silly Jennifer is as a name for an Andorian. It is, yeah. <laughs> but it's that Jennifer, I mean, she goes back to the season one finale. Right, right. You know, so I think we don't see her. That's nice, though. I don't think, I think season two was the first time we actually saw her. We were like, oh my God, she's an Andorian. Um, Oh yeah, but she mentions her. She mentions her a couple of times. I remember the one that jumps to mind was when Boimler gets assigned to the Titan and Mariner's leaving him yet another angry message. And you hear somebody like off to the side say something and she's like, oh, shut up, Jen. (laughs) But there had been some like alluding to Jen earlier in the episode, I think. So it was sort of, it was like, it was a payoff to something from earlier. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Jen come back and I'd like to, um, get to know her a little bit more, and I think she could really maybe add something to the dynamic of the of the characters. So, yeah. So, where do you rank 
this one, this episode? Um, I don't know. Honestly, I liked the last. I think I like the last, definitely the one with the um, recruitment booth better. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like know. people are obligated to rate this one really high just because of DS9. Yeah, no, I mean, I like the recruitment. I, I'd say it's, a, honestly, it was about on par with the last episode yeah. for me. I, I think, so I actually believe that this is going to be one of those memorable shows. I think it's going to be like one of those kind of trials and tribulations type episodes that, you know, years from now they're going to be like, oh, that episode where they went to Deep Space Nine and we saw everybody again. I can definitely see it being held in that regard. But but I liked it. I think, again, you know, I appreciate that the episode was not just about going to Deep Space Nine and that and that was it. Again, you had to tell, you had stories to tell. And they were good stories. They weren't like they weren't like thinly veiled stories just to get us to DS9, right? They were actually cool. like well thought out, well done storylines. And aside from the very end, Jennifer and Mariner's story had very little to do with Deep Space Nine at all. Right. Right. Like they what what I like about them and Tendi's story as well is that they were not too related to DS9, but they did there were those like intersecting points because what happened on DS9 ended up affecting both stories. But yeah, I mean, and as I said in the beginning of the, at the top of the show, it really, I love how they are able to really, just in a short amount of time, really tell us some very tightly packed storylines, three stories in about 24 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And done well, I mean, well-balanced, just, just a good, a really good episode, a really good lower decks episode overall. I mean, I think this one has, this is another example of, I think it's everything about lower decks. It does everything about lower decks. It's everything lower decks does well. That's what I couldn't think of. It's pretty much everything mm. lower decks does well in one episode. It's everything I like about lower decks more or less in one episode. So, yes. Yeah. And it was able to do the thing that it can do so well, which is ha- sort of have its cake and eat it too, where they, you know, they don't want to do the whole be super reverent about Deep Space Nine. But by having the joke of we're admiring the pylons, they sort of did get to be kind of reverent of Deep Space Nine, but right. also while we're chuckling. So it's a fine line to balance, and, and they did it well. Is it between Boimler and. I just I want to ask you one more thing before we move on to our next um to our, to our uh final segment where we talk about the sort of the uh, in the um odds and ends. Sorry to interrupt. We have two final segments: member berries and funniest line. So this happened when Rika came at the end of season one with the Titan. So you had all these fans saying like, "Oh." Because clearly they've demonstrated that they can do it just fine, but they were saying, "Oh, give me where's my animated Titan series with Riker and Troy?" And it's like, sure, they could do it, but will they? And could it work? Yeah, I guess. So now, obviously, you had people saying, "Well, where's my DS- where's my DS Nine sequel series? Could you do an animated series?" And I thought, to my- and so, I- I'm sorry. Here's my answer to that: here's the thing. Grow up. Can you please grow up. <laughs> That's not how this works. Okay, how this works. But I, but it, it definitely got me wondering. Could they, could it work? No. And I don't know that this episode's enough to go off of. 
I think what it clearly demonstrates is that you can you can animate Deep Space Nine, bring the original voice actors, bring the original actors back, but I don't know that I'd want to see it. I'd want to see it as a more serious take, sure, but w- do I think they'll do that? No. Would I watch no. that? Sure. Sure. Of course. Of course. But I, I just think that this is not going to be a strange new world thing where they're going to campaign and get and get. This is not going to. No. And there's no. I just sort of think that there's. Mm, okay. Paramount Plus with Star Trek has. I want to say like they haven't really been willing to take any big risks. And now you might say that Lower Decks is a big risk, sort of, but I don't know. I don't think it is because I think the concept. I think the concept of it was, but yeah, but it's not that expensive to make. You give it a shot. I mean, even they they kind of took a risk with um, Prodigy, and you can see how they're not really fully <laughs> believe in their risk because they haven't even aired all the episodes they made. So I think they're kind of risk averse. And I think that to do an animated show that was serious, although of course there are serious animated shows, I just don't see, um, you know, I don't see Paramount Plus doing that at all. And, mm-hmm. and to say that, okay, we've seen that it can work. I mean, I don't think there was ever any question that you could animate the characters and have the voice actors do the voices. Right. That of course could work, but there's nothing to say that, you know, I mean, if, we, if there was a serious show, I don't think we would want it in the style of Lower Decks. So that got me thinking about something, though. It goes back to what we were saying about how Lower Decks doesn't do anything to advance the lore of DS9. And we were saying that it shouldn't. In a way, I know they, you know, they've talked about, we've heard them talk about how they want to do the DS9, they want to, what they say, they want to do Cisco, they want to do it right or something like that, right? Whatever, whatever it is they want to do with it. But I think in a lot of ways, this episode showed me that I kind of, in a way, don't want them to bring Deep Space Nine back as a series or whatever, because it's not that I feel that they would not do it correctly. I think that it's a, it's a, it's an oddity within the Trek universe in that it has its own sort of lore. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when it ended, it just kind of felt like, okay, that's it. Nothing to suggest that they could do more with this. It had this very sort of like finality to it. And I kind of want to keep it that way. I don't know that, I don't mind them like visiting the station from time to time like they did on, like they have done this week. But I kind of, don't want that world of DS9 to be revisited and 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 doing like a sort of as weird as it sounds like a next generation of Deep Space Nine. Like I don't I don't Star Trek Cisco. I, I yeah like I don't I don't want that. It, I just I don't I I don't think that I really want that to be honest with you. Um, what if they brought back the writers' room from the end of the documentary? Now if they did that. I mean, I think that was that was certainly fun to watch, and it definitely put yeah, us back I in think that. that's as good as it could possibe get right maybe, I don't maybe, think maybe I don't should, maybe I should be. say maybe I should do maybe I should say it this way. 
Maybe I'll make an exception. Okay, right. you can do it, but you have to have that team again. You have to have them come back and do it. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean... No, I see your point. It was a time when I, I probably have said it on this podcast when I would have said, I want Star Trek Cisco. But mainly that's just because I love Avery Brooks, honestly. And you know what? I can watch Deep Space Nine. Julia, my wife, has been watching Deep Space Nine, and I've been, you know, watching episodes with her here and there, and I just love watching Avery Brooks. I can still do that. So, yeah, I think you don't need it. And plus, after the, to my, in my opinion, the swift decline in quality of Picard from season one to two. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, don't, I think, don't I think, mess it up. I think also the last thing I'll say. It's the only Star Trek series that really has an ending to it. Like, mm. like I'm talking like yeah. closure to it, right? It seemed like they actually planned it instead of like, well, we're, we're not, we ran out of episodes. <laughs> like the other shows, even though they ended, yeah. you could still visualize them coming back in some way for something. Yeah, it wasn't a big story that was brought to no, a conclusion. But when you look at the ending of Deep Space Nine, Okay, what happened in those last few minutes? Characters, it's, it's sort of like that, that, that sort of like, you know, like those, those sitcom endings where like the family's moving out of the house and they're looking at the empty house, like, oh, and kind of, and like the, the, the reels playing of like all their memories from over the years played to some cheesy like, what a wonderful world, you know. <laughs> but, and it's the last person puts the light out in yes, the living room exactly, they walk right? out the door. Exactly. Yeah. And, and while Deep Space Nine did that in a way, that, but characters were moving on to going going to different places, yes. right? The family was breaking up, and they were all going to different places. So that you would have to work that into it, right? Couldn't like just like they did with Picard. Smartly, the first season of Picard was not oh weird happenstance brings everybody back together. It was right. It focuses on one of those family members who is right. But even then, at the end of Nemesis. We don't really see that. It's in the script that they're all going to different places, but it's not apparent in the film. That's what's happening. So at the end of Deep Space Nine, you literally see the family going, breaking up and going to different places. And I think that's what makes it feel so final to, to the yeah. show. So, I mean, if you wanted to bring on O'Brien or Bashir as a guest appearance or something, that's fine. But I think... <laughs> I think Deep Space Nine season eight is not something that I think needs to happen. Yeah. I think if uh, it, here's I think, a question that just popped yeah. into my head, sort of related, but sort of not. Is O'Brien one of the most long-lived Star Trek characters? Just long because lived. his well, having like the most appearances in episodes, simply because he was on two shows. Oh no, that's Michael Dorn, hands down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, O'Brien's got to be up there, though. Well, he's he was not a main, well he was not a main character on Next Gen. He was a, he only appears in a handful. I mean, Michael Dorn, I think, has the most. Yeah, yeah. Because don't forget, I mean, he I, he does eleven seasons of Trek, twelve seasons of Trek. I mean, right. four or five, six, just, seven. In, in rewatching some of Deep Space, I'm surprised. I forgot just how much O'Brien there is. Yeah, it's real yeah. crucial to the whole thing. So, but that, but that's my that's my thing. I mean, I think if you're gonna, I have no problem, you know, visiting DS9 or visiting the characters again, but actually visiting the series with, I just, I don't think, and continuing it, 
yeah. I don't know that that's that's it's not a, something that one I don't of those things where if you do it well, I'll love it. But I do see your point. You're saying it would be a challenge to do it well. I, I just think that it really would affect the ending of Deep Space Nine, the series. I don't because that to me is the end of that story. And right, I, and I don't want. Well, what to... if something else happened? What if I don't know? Kira showed up as a Fenris Ranger in Picard in season three. But, or but that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I have no problem with you bringing an occasional character in, but I'm talking like. And that's a bad idea, by the way. What I just said. I'm not saying that's a good idea. But like, okay, what they're doing with season eight, or excuse me, season three of Picard. <laughs> don't. I mean. Granted, we don't know what they're doing. We just know they're bringing all the characters back for something. I'm don't. That's not what I want. That's that's not what I want yeah. Deep Space Nine to be. No, 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 no. You're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Like even if it was like, you know, Star Trek Cisco, right? So I think there's, there's never a situation where Cisco's gonna be like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I need because clock. you know what it is. <laughs> We're getting into as you call it garbage time, I guess. But I guess it's okay. But it's like, what would you even? What would you even do? Right? Well, what, I don't, what would it even be? I mean, I is it, is it bringing Cisco out of it? Like, what would it, you know, I just, I don't I even. I can't speculate on that, but I can see yeah. a situation where, you know, he's off doing his shit thing, right? There's some event or something happens that brings Starfleet to there to do something. And so that he's interacting with them because they're there helping right. with them. Right. That's all I can you, you You'd but, have you to. Know. You'd have to do something to really... You'd have to sell me on this because you being yeah. like whoever's heading up, whoever be heading up, I just feel on the, on the face of it, I, I don't... That's, I, that's, I'm not interested in Deep Space Nine Season 8 unless you, you know... Right, it would have to be... I don't, wa- I don't want them to do something that kind of trances all over or at least alters, yeah. alters my love of the series. Like, do it just to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, does... I don't know. Maybe for you it is. But could a season two of Picard, you know, change your love of Next Generation? It doesn't mind. No, but it... it, it but again, because it, it focuses on one character. It was not Next Generation season eight from the beginning. So... Okay, well, what if, if next season is a steaming pile of hot garbage... It's not gonna no, we're already two seasons in at this point, so it doesn't even. It's I, I don't know. I know, but if you're for your point to hold water, if next season stinks, that would affect our enjoyment of next gen. I don't think it would. So I think no matter how bad they made, like they made deep, a new Deep Space Nine, no matter how bad it is, I think the original Deep Space Nine will still be fine. I, what I'm saying is, I don't. What I mean is, it's not just by virtue of having everybody there and just doing something. I'm saying like if you do some kind of a plot line or something that kind of undoes what they did on Deep Space Nine in some way. Or like mm. we're talking about like how... I think we're just... Uh, I'm bringing the fourth one. We're you too have much to really into, sell me, is all I'm saying. We're too much into speculating about speculation right now. We're just... You'd you have know? to really... You'd have to really... I don't want to talk about it anymore. You'd have to really sell me on that. Anyway. But do what Lower Deck said. Let's just... I revisiting ds9 on occasion that's totally that's that's totally fine with me all right let's do the member berry corner all right the the one i mean the episode itself is one giant member berry corner in a lot of ways from where they're going but so let me see 
we see the Karma, who we have not seen since Deep Space Nine itself. We obviously we see Kira, we see Quark, we see Quarks itself, you know, all those things. Um we talked about how Rutherford was one was dangling his legs from the top of the promenade, just as Jake and Nog used to do. Um oh, one thing we didn't mention, by the way. Mm-hmm. Morn was there in Quarks. We didn't I mention that. Yeah, we did see him. Perfectly. How could you not see Morn when when uh when you go he's to like uh, Normie, he's like Normie in tears. Yeah. Um, Mariner mentioning that she possessed a copy of that hologram with your head on Kira's body, which goes back to the episode uh, Meridian. That's a real thing? Oh, yeah. No, that was real. So those are the the, uh, big ones that jumped out. Excellent. And now, funniest line. Funniest lines. Mm Mm-hmm. So, my favorite line, my funniest line, comes from the Orion that was on board DS9 helping them. He just said something that was real that just really made me laugh when he said, "It's when we find out that he's not as badass as he thinks, as he says he is." And he says, "It's when he says, I didn't know any other Orions back in Ohio." For some reason, that line just really (laughs) sounded so because, while yes. It just sounds ridiculous because I know in the 24th century, yes, there are alien species. There are many different alien species living on Earth. But something about just like Orions in Ohio just really made me just, I don't know what it was. It just made, I just thought it was very, very funny. Nice. So I have two, well, I'll give mine that's from almost the same scene. Yeah. Um, When he says... Everything I learned about Orions, I got from the Hollow novels, the bad ones with boobs on the cover. Yes, that was great because when you look at um, you know the pulp novels of the 30s and 40s, there are ones that have boobs on the cover, and those are the bad. But it also makes me think of like I thought of like that Orion dancing girl in the original in the Cage, the original series, right? Like Mm. that's it had it reminded me of the original series, and 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 in a lot of ways, yeah. I can imagine these pulp looking pulp novels but it's an orion pirate like holding a damsel by yeah. the waist yeah right and my other one is also from the orion gentleman um so he's talking about his tool that he loves and it's not really his line so much but it's rutherford's reaction so he says it's great for everything from stabbing guys to picking locks to stealing ships now that's funny but what I love is Mariner's, I mean, Rutherford's reaction is, oh, wow, yeah, all positive things. <laughs> there's nothing positive about stabbing guys, picking locks, and stealing ships. No. But he's so enthusiastic at that point. Right. And he just says, oh, yeah, all positive things. It's like, you know, as we were saying, Rutherford is like more or less in rare form in this episode. He's just, in, he's just. I don't know what it is. He was just really on top of his game as far as... He's just really positive and happy about everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Kid in a candy store, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so next week. Next week we have the next episode, you know, of a great show. You know, we love it. It's We love Lower Decks, don't we, people? Great, beautiful Lower Decks. Big, beautiful Lower Decks. Please right? stop people. talking like that person. We love it. We just love lower decks. It, you know what though? I gotta say, it's the he. 
what he's doing is what I'm doing. And it's I'm killing time just by saying nothing. And that means I don't have the thing up and I'm killing time. Beautiful show. All well, the characters. We love do them. You, do you know that you know I edit, right? So you don't have to worry about killing time. I don't have time. a phone. I don't have a phone. Beautiful show, that's right? My, that's my cue to oh, say. That's my producer cue to say. This is you need to edit this shit out. Beautiful show, great big beautiful Star Trek lower decks, right? Oh my God, but hug it and kiss it if it were. Please right here. stop this. So it's a mathematically perfect redemption. I'll try that again. Give it to you another way. A mathematically perfect redemption. Do you want another one? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I do not. Okay, and then after that we have Crisis Point 2 Paradoxus. I said I didn't want another one. No, but this is a different episode, so that was the first, second one. I didn't, I really want, I didn't want another word spoken in that accent. Ugh, oh, afraid that we can't stop it now. <laughs> Crisis Point 2, I think, I, I predict Crisis Point 2 is going to be my favorite of the season. I hope so, because we loved Crisis Point in the first season. I loved Crisis Point. Beautiful, beautiful Crisis I remember Point. we were talking about, in, in our episode, we recorded that time, that scene where they were circling the, uh, the Cerritos. And I remember what you, were la- you began to, la- you snorted like twice. <laughs> episode because you just couldn't and i remember and i remember saying it because that was the penultimate of season one i think and i remember saying to you i look i don't know what's going to happen next week i have no idea how the season's going to end but i'm telling you right now this i've already decided this is my favorite (laughs) my favorite moment of the season i don't care i don't care what happens next week i don't care how amazing next week is this is my absolute favorite moment of the season yeah i get that yeah that was great yeah I, I, I hope that I was thinking about this too because if they're going to do a crisis point part two I hope this becomes they didn't do one in season two which disappoints but I, I, I would love it if this was like a if they do an episode like this every season oh god yes yeah because it makes me think it's of, so, it perfect for a recurring story because yeah. in the holodeck yeah you have so many movies you can parody well, Star Trek movies it reminds me of um whatever you want to call there it there was a uh, so TV nerd here for a second. On Night Court, every season they would always do an episode about how they had to uh, get through like 200 cases by minute. They called them the marathon shows, and there's always some absurd circumstances to get them there. But it was like a, you know, it was like a revolving door of like all these weirdos coming in at breakneck speed in the courtroom. And it became, I think they started doing it in season four, and they just began doing it every season after that. So I was thinking like, if they did this, if they, if this was like a recurring plot every season, I think that would be, I think that would be great. Uh, yes, I agree. Because like, your point, you could make fun of all the films, right? I mean, I know right. that this first there, one is... There are different aspects of them. Great. I think you could start doing the series, you know? You could do the series, like, more directly and make it a story and, like, with the weird props and, yeah. Right, exactly. So I think that would be... Yeah, I would love that. I hope they... So, yeah, I mean, I hope when we get to a season four that they will actually include one. In... Maybe they just thought, like, in season three, like... You know, we should do that again. We should have done that in season two, but, you know, let's do it again. And hopefully they, yeah, again, they make it just this annual yeah. plot every season. They can season. do it when they're wearing the weird sweaters from the pilot. Right. You know, they can do whatever they want. I'm wondering if, oh, no, it wouldn't. Well, I don't know. I was thinking of, like, is Crisis Point 3 the Strange New Worlds crossover? But I think the show is being done from Strange New Worlds' point of view, so. 
see. But I wonder if That's, in season four of Lower Decks, we'll, I wonder if in season four of Lower Decks, we'll see that we will see it from the other side. I hope so. You know that that I'm I'm as excited for that as I have been for any piece of media in a long time. The Stranger Worlds over X crossover. Yeah, just because yeah. it's so it's gonna it, I it's rare that you have no idea what to expect from any of these you know franchise based things. But I literally have no idea what to expect. But from I, that. you know what else I love about it? it Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks of this new slew of Trek shows. They are our favorites. Yes, and they're crossing over our two favorites, which is yeah, which is exactly. fantastic. Yeah. At the point we're at now, they're like we feel like they're the only two that are quality. Yeah, and you know, and I should mention that when I say that, I don't mean to say it like, like I would even rank the, like I'm talking like even of all time, right? The yeah, like I would easily rank them alongside the other Trek shows as well, like the past Trek shows. It's not that oh, they're just the best of this current, and that's oh, it. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's like, but that's still below no. But for that, if that's the if that's the ranking, then they're they're so far above, you know. Yeah. Although season one of Picard for me gets a good placing there. Yeah. The last thing I'll mention: so we have New York Comic Con coming up, which oh, means yeah. There's gonna, yeah, Trek is going to be there. Discovery's Discovery's going to be there. I believe Picard is going to be there. Oh. So. Discovery. I don't know. I mean, I. I don't know that we will get I think it's I think it's I don't think we'll know what I don't think we'll get a trailer for season five of Discovery. I highly I highly um doubt it. I do think though we're gonna get I think we will hear how amazing the message is from Michelle Paradise's point of view. Yeah. Um It's a bold prediction. So I don't know if we're going to get a trailer for season five of Discovery. We might. Maybe something brief because they are shooting the season right now. But apparently, and I must have missed this on Star Trek Day, but apparently they did give us a little bit of a tidbit on what the plot of season five of Discovery was. And can I read this to you and just so I can get your thoughts on it really quick? Please. We don't have, we don't have to go into a deep dive of it, but it said... Um, yeah, no, I was in a good mood. Let's ruin that. <laughs> it says... Again, this is slightly vague, I would say. But it says, The season's story follows the USS Discovery on a galactic adventure to find a mysterious power that has been hidden for centuries in which other dangerous groups are also searching for. I mean... You know it's going to culminate in the fate of the galaxy being at risk, right? Oh, here's the thing, though. It's better than... I'd rather have them... It's like, <laughs> ready? It's like someone in the show learned what the word MacGuffin means in the writing team. And they're like, oh, yeah, we should do a MacGuffin because it works. But I'd rather have them have a MacGuffin than have to stop the destruction of the universe. Like everyone chasing one thing sounds more interesting than stopping. But I think, but I think it's going to, but you know what I think it's going to be? I think it's going to be whatever that is. Oh. Whoever gets it's going to destroy the universe unless it's discovered. It'll, it, yeah, this person will use it to destroy the universe if we don't get to it before they do. Like that, you know, it'll come into play at some point. Yeah. I know it wasn't the plot. And you know what? Someone else will get it at a point, right? And then they'll have to get it away from them. So it's going to be exactly like the last episode, last season when they had the doctor had the thing or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, 
it's I hope it's more of a um uh cannonball run. It definitely sounds more interesting than what we've gotten on other seasons, but that does that I, I in my opinion that's not really saying too much because Yeah, it's true. You could graft the same fate of the universe story onto that outline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean because season three and four didn't start that way, but that's how they ended up. Right. Right. But, and you know what'll you know what'll happen. You know it will, because that's the only story they know how to tell. But hey, look, I'm I'm I'm. Imagine if the write up was like, um, uh, <laughs> um, Michael embarks on a uh, delicate. Diplomatic negotiation that lasts ten episodes. That would have been great, right? I would have been like, "Oh my god, finally!" We're doing it right. Well, it's only going to be ten episodes, so maybe, yeah. Because we, I, I know I said this to you with season four. I kept saying, you know, they're wasting time. I feel like you could have told this story in a shorter amount of time. So it's almost, so maybe, I don't know. I always like I always like to stay somewhat hopeful. Yeah, but I used to be like you. <laughs> but let's be fair. Yeah, oh yeah, we're gonna watch the first episode. We're gonna give it an honest um, viewing. That's the unbiased. We're gonna has what it is. Slightly improved with every. Season. Yeah, so like we said, the last, the first four episodes of the last season were great. Yep. I enjoyed watching every single one of them beginning to end. Yeah. Which made it somewhat more disappointing as the season went to the toilet. But, you know, there were four solid episodes. I can't I'm, take I'm, I'm an open-minded guy and always willing to give the, be, you know, open to the benefit of the doubt. But we'll see. Yes, but to remind viewers, we are switching our coverage of Discovery. Because oh, right, we, right, right. Viewers, listeners, sorry. I didn't mean to insult you all like that. Um, we are we are reviewing we're doing an episode for the first episode of the next season of Discovery. Yep. And we're going to do one for the midway after the fifth episode, and then we're going to do one after the last episode. So three total episodes for the season. That's it. And the reason for this change was because we realized that really with season four, because the show is so deeply rooted in serialization, we were finding that the more we dissected each episode each week, the more issues we would find with it or the more glaring some of them would be. And as much as I hate, as much as I wanted to resist this, the show is made to be binged. It's like you need to kind of watch everything either close together or at least like watch an episode then like, you know, maybe give some brief thoughts, but then see how it continues the following week. They're basically doing, you know, season long episodes. And I think that when we dissect each piece, we just begin to get, go down a rabbit hole because sometimes if they haven't, we get frustrated that something hasn't been answered yet or like, where are they going? And it's just what's going to happen next week. And it's just, the more we picked apart the episodes, the more problematic it became. And and the more that we realized that we, the show was not. How can I say it? The show was not written in in a way that you could watch it and think about it and try to anticipate what might happen or figure things out. 
because right. you could just all of a sudden new information comes out of nowhere and then it all changes. So it was very, very frustrating to try yeah. to watch it in the way that we've watched a lot of shows. Yeah, I, I actually have an yeah. interesting term that they use a lot. It's about TV shows that something that doesn't work are inconsequential mysteries. Hmm. It's kind of like just what we talked about a lot, withholding information for seemingly no reason other than... Just to keep us on edge. Yes. Yeah. So those are very frustrating, but if you binge it, those things last only 45 minutes instead of weeks. Right. It's frustrating to watch as a viewer because you, and I think it's mostly because you just want you don't want to wait. Right. Yes. But the more we, there's no pleasure in thinking about it all week. No, no. Well, I mean, (laughs) we're not having fun doing it because we just were complaining and you know, there's plenty of negativity in the world. We don't want to just, yeah. So I, I think it would, I don't know how it's going to change our views in the show. It might a little bit. I don't know, but I think it's, I think it'll be better this way. And I think that I think us dissecting every episode of the show every week. And then again, going down these rabbit holes, complaining. Mm-hmm. I think we're doing you all a disservice. I don't think that makes for, I don't think that makes for easy listening. Yes. Yes. So I think that if it's, if the show's great, we're going to be so excited on that fifth episode to talk about it. It's going yeah. to be awesome. Right. And if we don't like the show, it's going to be mercifully short. We only have to do three episodes. Right. But we'll worry about that when the show returns. But for now, we still got four episodes of Lower Decks to get through. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, then, and I think we should have a conversation about whether we want to do this for uh, Prodigy because I think we haven't really covered that show so yeah yes alright let us know listeners what do you want us to do for Prodigy I can tell you but you're not a listener I think we should do it now anyway all right, you can follow us on Instagram at in Star Trek We Trust Podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at Star Trek We Trust, and you can shoot us an email at InStarTrekWeTrust at gmail.com. Until then, we will see you all next week with episode seven. Later, skaters.